Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Max Costello, who is from the Refugee Action Collective. And we're going to be speaking with him about a very important topic and it's entitled Too Much Waste, Too Much Cruelty. Refugee Advocates Call for Dutton to be Sacked. That's actually the title of a recent media uh, release that the Refugee Action Collective recently wrote. And Dutton wastes $1.2 billion on processing 26 asylum claims, locks up very ill Medivac transferees, providing little health care, and evicts community detainees while ending their income support. So we're going to be speaking with Max Costello about all that. And we'll speak to him also about via the growing number of federal financial scandals. The Morrison government has been, in effect, steadily self-sabotaging its claim to be Australia's best economic manager. So we'll be speaking about that, and we've spoken to the Refugee Action Collective and also refugees and asylum seekers themselves on this show over the years about the effect that all of this has had on them. Then after that, we'll be speaking with Zelda from Make West Papua Safe, and we'll be speaking to her about an event coming up in Melbourne, and we'll speak to her about that. She'll talk to us about why the AFP and Home Affairs Minister Dutton, why won't they meet the people impacted by Australia's security investments, and are our tax dollars paying for war crimes? Okay, so we'll be speaking with Max very soon. The Jabberung Heritage Protection Embassy is asking for support. On Monday 26th, of October, a sacred directions tree was cut down on Jaburung women's country. Traditional owners have called this an act of cultural genocide, and more sacred trees remain under threat as works continue. Here's what you can do. 1. Come to the embassy and protect the trees on the ground. Visit the Jaburung Heritage Protection Embassy Facebook page for more information about how to get there and what to bring. 2. Ring Daniel Andrews on 96515000 and let him know what you think. 3. Educate yourself about the situation 
and spread the word to others. Four, donate to the embassy on their GoFundMe page. 3CR supports the Japarang Heritage Protection Embassy. No trees, no treaty. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we're speaking now with Max Costello from the Refugee Action Collective Victoria. Welcome, Max, to the program. Thanks very much, Marissa. It's lovely to have you. Now, Max, I'm wondering if you could just start off and, and talk about what's been going on. I mean, why has there been too much waste and too much cruelty? Um, <laughs> that's a, well, I think the, the two-word answer is Peter Dutton. But uh, just to background you on why ref, the Refugee Action Collective of Victoria, RACVIC for short, why we put out this... Uh, media release was that uh, we've been reading and hearing uh, about financial scandals at the federal level and you know uh, twenty thousand dollars going on watches for for australia post execs uh, 30 million being paid dollars being paid for a hunk of land uh, for a future airport that's only worth the land's only worth three million dollars and um, we've been doing a bit of homework on on the, the home affairs uh, portfolio and, and their uh, spending. And as we say in our media release, uh, the, the waste of money by Dutton's Department of Home Affairs puts all those recent scandals, it just makes them look like small change. Um, so uh, I can explain more if you like, but that's the that's the background yeah. to why we uh, we we highlighted this uh, squandering in our 1.2 billion on so-called offshore processing when there are at the last report there are only a, you know a handful of uh, asylum claims still being processed offshore. Absolutely, and really, offshore is is a violation of human rights. And and it costs money anyway. Why not do onshore? Well, that's right. You see, uh, there's a there's a whole raft of uh, uh, you know there's uh, crimes against humanity involving the breaches of uh, human human rights uh, obligations. There's there's um, as I I think I when I was last on your show a year or two yeah. back. Uh, there are breaches of uh, work, health and safety in the uh, immigration detention facilities. Um, there's uh, there's so many angles, so many uh, atrocious things going on. Uh, our focus on our media release was basically on the squandering of money and the, the cruelty of kicking people out of their community detention uh, residences and are expecting them to to find another place and pay for another place to live in within within a few weeks. So there's a whole raft of, um, of uh, shocking things being done by Home Affairs. But what we what we decided to focus on uh, in the recent media release, because the financial scandals were getting such prominence, we thought it's time that the public became aware of. Uh, Dutton being in Home Affairs being the biggest waste of all in the federal government's sphere, and also as people might recall, the, the Home Affairs has got form. They've been the subject 
that department has been the subject of scathing criticisms by the Auditor-General in in, uh, years past. And, um, for example, uh, in May 2020, May this year, uh, there was a lack of financial probity, um, uh, according to the Auditor-General, in the way Home Affairs awarded various contracts uh, uh, to entities uh, supposedly providing services uh, on uh, Manus Island, or at least in Papua New Guinea, that $745 million, uh, not properly, uh, that process was not properly dealt with. And that's, that's um, there are previous reports saying much the same thing. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting that, and this is something that I think that you've said in the media release, and I just wanted to explore that a bit further, if that's okay, that you say that Home Affairs, within its 2020 to 2021 federal budget allocation, is spending $1.19 billion on offshore processing, even though the regional, the regional processing centre on PNG's Manus Island was closed on the 31st of October 2017, and Nauru's RP. PC has been empty since the 31st of March 2019. Yes, so so um, people seem to, and, and sometimes the media get this wrong. They talk about yeah. Australia's offshore processing centres. Well, as you've just said, uh, the Manus one was closed down in, on the 31st of October 2017. That's that's over three years ago, and and furthermore, not long after its closure. It was demolished. Now, um, I look periodically, and people interested in uh, detention and uh, treatment of asylum seekers and refugees, I recommend that they look up every month the the Home Affairs and ABF publication, uh, which is um, Immigration... Detention, uh, immigration and community detention summary, statistics summary, or were something pretty close to that, and it tells you. That's how I know that mm. the, the Nauru Centre it's still standing, but it's been empty. The last time it held anyone was the 31st of March last year. Oh. Um, the people, the handful of people still being processed, uh, people who've been so-called settled. Uh, in the community on Nauru, and uh, it's not in our media release. We had to we try to compact it down to one page. But but uh, uh, the the fact that uh, the, the centre's been empty, uh, and and that there are only a handful of uh, people being processed is, is how can you justify one virtually one point two billion? The point I want to make is that. <clears throat> um, the, those people still being processed, to my knowledge, don't quote me on this, but to my knowledge, they put in claim back in 2014 or 2015, perhaps some even earlier. Why is it that their claims are still being processed? I mean, Border Force can process a, a Tamil asylum claim on a boat in one or two days flat. So uh-huh. why is it? Why are these people? Being, you know, given a snails, it, it, the money is being spent on the the processing staff of of Nauru, provided by Nauru, and it appears that they're just spending it out. Um, 
and uh, in in our um, in our media release, we estimate that uh, that that one point one nine million, if you calculate it across the the twenty six people, uh, it's a, it costs Australian taxpayers about forty six million per claim being processed. And this is all about human suffering, isn't it? Oh, and well, that, that, yes. Yeah, and yes, it's, yes. and and really, let's be honest here. It's 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 about human suffering. It's about the violation of human rights. But would you agree that it also goes a step further, in that that money could easily be spent on providing community services, not just for asylum seekers and refugees, but for everybody to you know for more. For better health care, for more housing, for for more innovative programs to decarcerate prisons, things like that. Oh, it, oh exactly, Marissa. I mean, and as our uh, media release goes on to say, on the one hand, is Dutton's department squandering uh, over a, a billion dollars on a handful of outstanding claims? Uh, in one area of his portfolio, and on the other hand, Dutton is the one who's writing letters to people in community detention, which, which is a great deal cheaper. Uh, money could be saved on that. I mean, why are people being housed in hotels in old-style detention centres when um, uh, when they could be out in the community and much less expense, but. But Dutton is kicking people out. They're getting letters. There's 500 so far, um, maybe more, but that was the most recent figure we had. Um, they're giving giving the recipient three weeks to find and pay for their own accommodation. Now, how can they... Where are they getting the money from? And, and Three weeks well, to what? To, to, to find to their find accommodation? To find their own accommodation. They've had... In community detention, you, you, the government, Home Affairs, has been providing uh, housing or, or flats or whatever. For oh, because of the coronavirus? No, no, this is, this is uh, people who've been... There are people been in the community detention oh, yes. for years. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and uh, all of a sudden, they're, um, they're, and, and not, not all of them have had work rights. But, and, and they've been given a pittance to live on, less than the old, uh, um, the you know, less than JobKeeper, the old Centrelink payment, even less than that. But how are they going to, with what money are they going to uh, pay for the, the bonds even for their own yeah. accommodation? Uh, they, they do get um, access to, to Medicare, uh, but, uh, and they do get access to work rights, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's just uh, it's just an act of barbarism. And as we say, Dutton, it's obvious he doesn't care if they face homelessness and starvation. And it's just a further example of the federal government, the Dutton, the uh, Morrison government, disowning and walking away from its own clear obligations to people, and effectively putting. The charity, the refugee and asylum seeker support groups, charities, and so on, and just putting the pressure on that. Oh well, we'll walk away from our responsibilities. We won't provide these people with money. You look after them. It's just, uh, it's just a complete abdication of uh, responsibility. 
Indeed it is, and you know our show has actually interviewed Moz, and we've interviewed, you know, who's who's in hotel in the hotel at the moment, yeah. the the mantra. We've interviewed many many asylum seekers and refugees um, before the pandemic. We actually were having at, at one stage for about three months. We were having face to face interviews with with a lot of asylum seekers that were in the community and actually had no medical care and no food. Yes, well. I, I... As you might have covered in your previous programs, um, one of the, the half the case for this is before before the um, COVID outbreak uh, that's now come to an end in Victoria. In the early days, there were so. almost no um, COVID cases, and and these people had brought brought here for medical care, um, largely with, with shocking high, you know, over ninety percent. Uh, incidents of uh, either physical and or um, psychological, psychiatric uh, health conditions, but uh, and, and most of it caused by long, you know, six years of, of confinement offshore with very little medical care. And what do they do? They keep them in detention and don't give them the medical care. Um, and, uh, in fact, I think that Alison Batterson's uh, organisation, she's a, a lawyer, as people know, who stands up her organisation, looks after refugees and takes cases on their behalf. They, she recently released the signatures of quite a few people at the Mantra Hotel in Preston who've received uh, little or no medical care despite the very serious health problems they've been brought here um, to get a treatment for. It might not... Could I just add, Marissa? Sure. Previously, before the Medivac uh, amendment came through to uh, virtually compel Dutton on the, on the say-so, the medical considered medical opinion of two treating doctors, the, the, medic, the amendment gave Dutton, after the cases were brought to his desk, five days to make a decision to say, yes, they can come here uh, or not. And if, if he didn't make a decision in those five days, the Act said that was a deemed acceptance or approval. Um, so they were brought in. Now, it's interesting, I don't know whether people have covered this, Mr. but the wording in the, in the amending legislation was that they were to be brought here, quote, for the purpose of medical or psychiatric assessment or treatment. Uh, well, what Dutton and Morrison and Co did, I, I'm projecting their motives here. It seems to a lot of people that they were so incensed that they were defeated in Parliament. The, the Medivac amendment got through. They were so furious. They said, in effect, okay, we'll bring them here for the purpose of assessment or treatment, but they won't get us. Uh, Correct. That's, and, and they made they, as you might know, the people being medivaced here were persuaded, I'd say, forced to sign a document saying that they would agree while they're brought while they're in Australia, they would agree to be in detention, and they would also agree that when their treatment was finished, they would return to Papua New Guinea or Nauru. Just now that. They should that they, they shouldn't have had to sign anything like that, and of course it's made under duress. It wouldn't stand up, but that's the it's deliberate 
if you, the, the deliberate deprivation of medical care. Uh, Absolutely, and then they repealed it after the the Medibank well, legislation yes. was then repealed, and yes. then we had the pandemic on, uh, on yes. after that. And look, look what a disaster it is now. Oh yes. Um, so, uh, uh, can I just mention to I mentioned the hotels. Well, the yes. Mantra Hotel was one in uh, Sydney, in in Brisbane. There's another one in Darwin. Now, you might not know this, Marissa, but RACVIC, uh, Refugee Action Collective Victoria, we've, we've done some homework and found that the Accor Hotel Group, I don't know the precise name of the company, it's a French multinational company, uh, the Accor company has pledged itself, as some of the you know big international companies have, pledged, pledged themselves to abide by... Um, it, uh, environmental and human rights principles. So what we've done, uh, one of our members has done, is is prepared a letter to be sent to the Accor company and say, well, you've made these high-flown commitments, but let's look at the human right, rights ones. Your Two of your hotels, the Preston one and the Darwin one, they are breaching, they are involved, they are complicit in the shocking breach of, of human rights, uh, bringing people here for medical care and locking them up and not giving it to them. And we've got some very high-profile high signatures and we're hoping to embarrass the company into cutting its ties with Home Affairs and Border Force and ending uh, that uh, detention. Um, Absolutely. So, well, I hope that I can happen. Yes, well, we're um, what what uh, that you might know. There's a, a ring around of refugee advocates every month, and uh, about uh, three or four months ago, we had a, a sort of tactics and future strategy uh, chat, and it was realised that although we put enormous pressure to release the hotel detainees uh, where they could safely self-isolate and so on. We didn't budge the government, so let's look at any other avenues of pressure. And that a core letter is is one. Um, also, Rack Vic has just recently written to 13 UN human rights bodies and the International Criminal Court to push once again for prosecution for for crimes against humanity. Uh, and there were a total of five uh, uh, submissions back uh, 2014 to 2017. You might know, Marissa, that uh, the, only the submission by uh, independent MP Andrew Wilkie uh, yes. got a response from the uh, prosecutor of the ICC, and it was a pretty unsatisfactory response. So we've written um, a submission... Uh, critiquing that uh, inadequate response. At the end of it, at least the office of the prosecutor said, well, look, if there is new facts and information, um, uh, the matter might be reconsidered. So we said, well, it, it damn well should be because the uh, the breaches, the, the crimes against the alleged crimes against humanity, they used to be committed offshore. Now that there's virtually no one, there's no offshore detention, um, it's now onshore. Um, the same alleged crimes are continuing. So uh, we've been well, that's busy exactly at right. 
That's right. Look, you've been really, really knowledgeable, actually. It's really great to be able to talk about figures and, and also just to discuss the lack of accountability, isn't it, to well, the Australian people? And according, and, and also, wasn't there also an equity economics estimate quoted in the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre's At What Cost report? Yes, and, and we've referred to it briefly in our uh, letter, and um, they suggest that uh, equity economics estimates that the total cost of offshore and onshore detention between 2016 and 2020 is $9 billion. And uh, it goes into detail if if the people were held onshore uh, or then in the community uh, or you're given bridging visas as you, go, as you cascade down those other options, the cost, that $9 billion should uh, never have been spent. Uh, and uh, that, that's so we quote that. We've done our homework on the, uh, the stats. I'd better tell you, if we've got time, just one more Couple aspect minutes, yep. about the, um, the $1.19 billion. We simplify it and say that's on offshore processing. But I looked into the actual Home Affairs budget papers. They yep. call it um, offshore management of irregular maritime arrivals. And they do spell out a little bit of detail. They say that 1.19 billion will do that. Money will be spent on four things, and I'll mention them briefly. But then I'll come back and say, well, <laughs> two of them uh, uh, are really there's nothing to spend on. The four are uh. support, well, number one, supporting partner countries to determine the refuse status of transferees. Well, that's the one we've covered. There's only a handful of people uh, who are still being processed, so that's almost come to an end. Next is supporting partner countries to manage regional processing facilities. Well, (laughs) one's been demolished and the other's been empty for Uh 18 months. Uh, But they do add, including health, welfare and settlement services. Now, that's this is these dodgy contracts where companies like, uh, uh, well, it was originally, um, uh, the names changed, but the, the, there's a, there are um, four companies that got that 743 million I referred to. But yeah. but do they pr- provide services to protect the people? Uh, they're now in um, the ex detainees are now in. Port Moresby, a very dangerous place, and they're extremely. You know, you know the the third thing is capacity and capability development for partner countries through training and so on. Well, <laughs> that's they've been doing it for years. What do they need training for? And the last one is supporting partner countries to provide durable migration options through resettlement, voluntary return and removal of those found not to, to be refugees, that's deportation. Now, um, the, that's, you know, the, the migration options, well, they've been put out in the community in PNG and Nauru, so that's been done. I mean, what's to spend? Uh, and then, you know, since the government's not taking up the uh, New, New Zealand offer, it, uh, Which they it seems be. to us that the $1.19 billion 
uh, is not nowhere near that is really needed for deal to deal with those core items. In particular, the regional processing of people who it's virtually finished. Look, so, it really uh, is most appalling. And Max, I think I'm going to have to have you back for part two. I think. <laughs> no. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to have to have you back in a couple of weeks. We've got to. I'm going to be speaking with um, someone from a campaign um, to free West to make West Papua safe pretty soon. But yes. um, but this is a thank you so much for for coming onto the program. And I, I suppose the last thing I wanted to to say quickly is that. Um, you know, with the Refugees Convention, you know, that Australia signed and ratified decades ago, that's not being adhered to, is it? Oh, ab absolutely not. And uh, uh, you might... There was a, a court decision about uh, three months ago now where a refugee was actually freed um, uh, because uh, the uh, department had taken... So they said the department said, "Oh, we're we're organising to deport him." And they've been organising, oh supposedly organising to deport him for several years. And the court said, "Well, you've had time. You've that's the only purpose you're holding him. You're not working on that purpose. Therefore, the detention's not legally valid. Release him." And, and it happened. Uh, yes, it, it did. And and the department. This is a this strange thing. The department came and said, "Oh, we can't." Uh, we can't, um, can't, uh, you can't order us to deport him because that would be refoulement in breach of the Refugees Convention. And the I'm wow. not quoting the judge here, but the judgment says, well, you wrote into the Immigration the Migration Act that people can be deported even if it involves refoulement. So uh, don't try that line on, on the court. So uh, anyway, I'd better wind up and let you move to your West Papua guest. But there is Thank a, you so much, so Max. Much, Look, it's so much to say. Absolutely. And may I have you back in a couple of weeks? Would that suit yeah, you, by, Max? By all, by all means, Marissa. Thank you so much, Max, for coming onto the program. Take care. And thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Tune into the 2020 Beyond the Bars CD launch on air Thursday the 12th of November. Despite the lifting of some COVID restrictions, we'll be launching this year's CD on air and online. This broadcast event will feature highlights from the July broadcast and officially launch the 2020 CD. Order your free copy of the CD now from 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars 2020. Been locked up for the last five years and I always run into family in here. There's that, that many, that much of my family in here. It's not funny. This is the point not only in here, and in Dame Phyllis too, you know what I mean? So, and there's a lot of women, Aboriginal women, locked up to it at the moment. It's not decreasing in the last few years, it's just more or less increasing. This doesn't make sense sometimes, you know? Tune in on Thursday the 12th of November at 2pm for the launch. And you're back with the Doing Time show. It's about a minute after 4.30 and we're going to be speaking with Zelda from Make West Papua Safe. And we, hopefully we will speak, be speaking with her about an event that's coming up on November the 16th at 5pm 
And I was having a bit of a read of it today. I know that 3CR already has a show, but I felt that I wanted to. We wanted to honour um, the West Papa and and speak with Zelda about this event, entitled um, AFP Stop Training Killers. Hello, Zelda. Welcome to the program. Hi, Marissa. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you, Zelda. Now, I'm wondering, Zelda, if you wouldn't mind just talking a little bit about the background to this event and, and what's happening, please. Absolutely. Um, just to start with, I'll say that I'm coming to you from Gutterbundled country, yes. which is in the foothills of the Otways, and I'm really, really grateful to the ancestors who cared for this land so beautifully and... Um, and I guess I'm aware that um, any campaign about police violence and police brutality is also a campaign against racism and colonialism. And um, so this um, issue is, is really resonates with us in Australia, uh, where we've got ongoing um, police brutality and police racism happening against Indigenous people here. Um, and also I'm mentioning that I'm on Gutterbundled country because I might drop out because our signal's not fantastic down here. Thank you for the warning. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you yourself, where, where are you from, Zelda? I grew up in Melbourne. I grew up in the inner north of Melbourne. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Thank so you so much for that respectful Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the event on Monday is at the AFP headquarters in Melbourne. It's at 383 Latrobe Street. And the background to that is that the Australian Federal Police has been involved in training specialist Indonesian, specialist police in Indonesia for nearly 20 years. So after the Bali bombings in 2001, um, Australia really was key in setting up this new kind of training centre, International Training Centre for Police in Jakarta, called the Jakarta Centre for Law Enforcement Cooperation, or JCLEC. And Australia was part of basically setting up a new Indonesian police force aimed at combating terrorism, and they're called D88. So Australia has continued to support... Um, that unit, D88, and also Indonesia's riot police, BRIMOB, through funding for that training centre and through ongoing uh, training and also provision of some supplies. Like they've given them a few patrol boats, um, they give them office equipment, and yeah, they it's mostly supplies that can be used in the centre rather than actual weapons, but you know, every bit helps. Um, but the D88 have not only um, worked against terrorists, they've also been used to target activists, especially in West Papua. And Bremob, um, the riot police, have been notorious for decades um, as you know, being very heavy-handed and militaristic in their approach to um, civilians in protests or activists. So we... Um, Back in, we've been campaigning on the AFP for a few years now, asking them to, you know, look at stop not training killers, not training um, 
Indonesian helping Indonesian police effectively become better human rights abusers. Um, and in September, we gave them a formal invitation to meet with some West Papuan human rights defenders. So we've been in contact with community here in Australia and also in West Papua. Um, so those those people or those organisations are on board with this campaign um, and are ready to meet with the Australian Federal Police to discuss the impacts of the training that the AFP are conducting. And in a week or so ago, we got a letter back from AFP saying, no, we're not going to meet with them. Um, and why is that? Well, that's what we're rallying now to ask. So I can guess... Simply not sensible. I mean, why, why wouldn't you want to... Obviously, there's denial, isn't there? That there is a violation of human rights. Um, I think they have better intelligence than we do about what's going on on the ground in Absolutely. West Papua. So I think they're probably very well aware of how many human rights violations BREMOB and D88 and regular police have been involved in. That's precisely what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's disgusting, really. So, um, but for the Australian Federal Police to meet with uh, West Papuan human rights activists, um, I don't imagine Jakarta would like that very much. So right. that's my guess as to why they've refused, but we need to hear from them. Like, I, I don't want to preempt their decision. So they did send us quite a long rejection letter. Um, and interesting for your listeners as well that Peter Dutton's ministry, the Home Affairs Ministry, are also deeply involved with this training institution. So Peter Dutton and the Home Affairs Ministry have set up the um, Marine Security Task Force in Indonesia, which is a new branch of the police. Um, and that's, of course, all about trying to stop refugees so Dutton, um, we also invited Dutton. So we invited the AFP Commissioner Kershaw and we invited the Minister for Home Affairs, Peter Dutton, to meet with us and meet with um, human rights activists from West Papua. So Dutton and Kershaw have said no um, and they've referred to a document called the AFP National Guidelines. Hang on, I'll get it right. AFP National Guidelines on offshore situations potentially involving torture or cruel and inhumane treatment. Yes. So we are wondering what guidelines could the AFP possibly have about offshore situations potentially involving torture. So we've asked to see those guidelines and, um, and we've asked um, for an explanation of their refusal and we've, and we've reiterated the invitation. So that's what we'll be doing on Monday at the AFP office. Um, we're essentially there to support West Papuan human rights activists who are saying, come and talk to us. Um, essentially, then, um, tax dollars are paying for war crimes. That's what it seems like, Marissa. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what it seems like. Yeah. Well, let's repeat... Um, in case listeners have just tuned in, this is 3CR Community Radio and this is the Doing Time Show. So in case listeners have just tuned in, Zelda, would you mind just repeating the 
the actual details of the event, please? Sure. We're inviting everyone interested in um, demilitarising the police and supporting uh, West Papuan people to be free from violence to join us at the AFP office in Latrobe Street. So it's 383 Latrobe Street, Melbourne. And we're going to meet there at 5pm next Monday. Um, if people would are coming alone and they would prefer to come with a group, um, people are welcome to meet us at 4.45 at Flagstaff Station so that we can walk down to AFP together. Um, so it's it's going to be a very peaceful, low-key kind of um, action. I'll just have some songs. We'll hear from some West Papuans. Um, I'll probably give a little bit of background to the AFP's, AFP's involvement in training um, West Papuan, sorry, training Indonesian police and the kinds of crimes that are being committed by those police in West Papua. Um, and we'll have some plenty of music. There'll be some songs and there's a song and dance routine we can do together. Um, so it's five okay. till six at the AFP office in at 383 Latrobe Street on Monday. So well, thank you so much for coming onto the program and you've actually made a very important connection because prior to you I was actually interviewing Max Costello from the Refugee Action Collective and we were also talking about taxpayers' dollars going on offshore processing. So it's very much interconnected, isn't it, all these human rights atrocities? Well, it is. And you'd think that if Dutton really didn't want refugees to come here, he would be trying to stop human rights violations overseas, Absolutely. which is what, what makes people want to leave, flee their country. Um, so we'll be hearing from some West Papuan refugees at the action on Monday and um, really warmly welcome anyone who is able to come by. We'll keep it all COVID safe. Um, and okay. yet, who knows, maybe we'll get a meeting out of the Australian Federal Police. I hope we do. I'd be very interested to go, actually. Well, we'd love to see you there, Marissa. Um, and, I, you know, these campaigns can take years, so if this action does not result in a meeting, there will be further actions, and um, we'd love your support. And thank you very much for airing us on 3CR today. Thanks a lot, Zelda. 3CR. <laughs> That's okay, good. You bye, take Marissa. care of yourself. Keep it up. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. The current world in which the higher education sector operates is characterized by profit and power. And as universities are further incorporated into global neoliberalism, these ideas of the public good face the most serious threat that they have ever faced. COVID pandemic, besides highlighting all of the other fissures in society, has also really highlighted the terrible inequalities that have long existed within the sector. The precarity, the overwork, 
declining mental health caused by intensifying privatization and the privileging of profits at all costs, and students who should be our co-learners in this process face mounting debt. If this pandemic has done nothing else, it has shown us that this system in its current iteration is unsustainable. We have to organize and fight against it. There is no other way. There is no alternative to quote somebody who shall remain nameless. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Show 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on a dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And we're kind of nearing the end of our show. It's approximately 844. Oh, sorry, <laughs> 444. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself there. It's not even dark yet. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to thank Max Costello and also Zelda for coming onto the show, our, our guests from Victoria, and we spoke about a really important topic today in regards to um, refugees and asylum seekers and also freeing West Papua and keeping it safe. Coming back home to Victoria now, I wanted to actually read out a very brief statement, and this was a really good statement, actually, that will explain about the trees and what's happening with the sacred trees. And this statement was actually written by Radical Women and the Freedom Socialist Party. And it's entitled, No Trees, No Treaty, for the, for the Jibab Wurrung Sovereignty, Not Genocidal Destruction. Statement from Radical Women and Freedom Socialist Party, October 2020. On Monday the 26th of October, when the Victorian government sent workers and police into Dijab Wurrung country to bulldoze a sacred birthing tree and repress protest, another racist, sexist atrocity was committed. The destroyed 350-year-old tree was culturally significant to the Dijab, Dijab Wurrung people. Women giving birth took the placenta to a tree to mix with the tree seeds, and the tree became the child's direction tree. The hollow trunks of these trees hosted the delivery of around... 10,000 babies. To the Victorian government, these trees, about 3,000 of them, some thought to be as old as 800 years, stood in the way of a freeway construction that would save two minutes on a trip between Melbourne and Adelaide. In true colonial tradition, the Andrews government manoeuvred a false claim of Dijaburong consent while dismissing an alternative route pro proposed by Dijab Wurrung spokespeople. After years of battle, the first sacred tree came down. Lydia Thorpe, Dijab Wurrung mother and grandmother, exposes the government's hypocrisy. You cannot desecrate, sell off, destroy, open up, frack and log country and then want to sit with this nation's first people and talk about treaty. This despicable act is similar to an almost identical battle between sacred culture and capitalist investment. In 1994, Naringiri women fought to protect secret women's business from the development of a bridge at Hinmam Island in South Australia. Radical Women and Freedom Socialist Party were involved in united defence and the Naringiri women involving First Nations, unionists and environmentalists. 
a vicious witch hunt against the women led by the South Australian government and bridge developers and fuelled by mainstream media ended in a royal commission ruling against them, accusing them of fabrication. Prime Minister John Howard then allowed the construction to go ahead. The state's use of brutal power has been on display at the Dijaburong protest site. On, on October 26th, police used their expanded COVID powers against the protesters. According to community lawyers, they moved in early that morning to block access to the sacred trees and denied lawyers access, claiming they're not essential workers. The cops arrested about 60 protesters and issued COVID fines of $5,000 against many. Whatever is the outcome of the current court injunction to stop work, this fight is escalating. To defend the DJ Warung, the following demands are crucial. Immediately cease work on the Western Highway construction. All sacred trees and the landscape must be protected. All police of DJ Warung country release all arrested protesters, withdraw all fines. It's urgent that we contact state members of parliament by phone or email. No trees, no treaty, cultural genocide. And I wanted to read out that statement because it's very pertinent to the campaign and I felt that it was a really good summary to be able to explain to listeners what's actually going on here. And this fight has actually been happening for a long time now, many, quite a few years, I think since about 2017. And I believe that Marjorie Thorpe actually um, put in... Um, an injunction, injunction or, or help to bring about an injunction for the court so that work couldn't, can be stopped. And there's been a lot of campaigning around this issue and the Do and Time show has done quite a lot of extensive coverage, mainly through Lydia Thorpe and also um, DT as well. And we've done a lot of interviews with DT um, over the years. However, it's been terribly difficult to be able to get access to the women, to the elders, to be able to interview them on the show. So I'm really just putting out a shout-out to any um, Aboriginal women from the embassy who would be happy um, to, to, to be interviewed about this very, very important issue um, because... That's, that's how we actually get the word out and, and just to, to see if that could happen. And if that's the case, call 3CR on 9419 and ask to be put in touch with um, Marissa from the Do and Time show. Moving right along, it's approximately 4.50 and we've got about 10 minutes left of our show. Thanks to Peter for organising Zelda um, from the... West Pup, keep West Papa safe. That's um, that was a very important interview. Um, also, I think we will go into a very quick announcement. I'm 
Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law. 6 p.m. Tuesdays. Bombs is a protest against like all the food waste. We, I guess, rescue food that would otherwise go to waste, make meals from that food, and serves them up to people who need a feed. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. We need to have a working vehicle. So we do need money to keep our van going. Very occasionally we have to buy some food. To donate to our current fundraiser, go to www.chaft.org forward slash project forward slash Food Not Bombs pandemic support. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. Food Not Bombs And you're back with the Doing Time show and just a little bit of correction that I wanted to make. The, I, I actually mispronounced the the land that the Aboriginal women or the Aboriginal embassy was on. It's actually Japarong. So, yeah, when I read that article, I was mispronouncing it. So just to, to actually rectify that error, it is the Japarong embassy. So it's pronounced Japarong. Thank you so much. It's approximately 4.54, and please get along to... The sacred trees, um, I believe that there are some workshops happening or there were some workshops that happened over the weekend and um, see if you can donate um, to to that campaign as well. And good luck to the, the Japarong and keep up the good work. It's approximately 4.54 and we're nearing the end of our show. We're going to be going out now with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. And um, stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show. And we've got Beyond Zero up next. Bye. Stay safe. A true fella, as long as you are real fella. <laughs> 